Hello and welcome to the All Ears podcast by Give Her Up with me, Jeremy Inson. Give Her Up is a non-profit organisation that was developed to help rugby union players, club members, volunteers and coaches feel more comfortable talking openly and honestly about their mental health and well-being. In this series we're talking to women and men from across rugby union to find out how their involvement in the sport has affected their mental health in good and bad ways and to share their stories and the lessons they've learned thanks to being involved in Rugby Union. Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to the All Ears podcast by Give Her Up with me, Jeremy Inson. This episode's guest hails from one of sport's biggest families. He made the headlines in August 2015 when he revealed he was homosexual in the Sunday Times. In doing so, he became the first openly gay active professional men's rugby union player. He now splits his time between London and Sicily, something we're not jealous of in the slightest. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome former England Sevens and Saracens player, Sam Stanley. Hello, Sam. Good to have you with us. Hey, Jess. Um, Yeah, first things first, how are you feeling? How's your, your state of health mentally at the moment, would you say? Uh, I had nothing to complain about really. Um, living in Sicily, which is probably dream a dream or good like. Well, when we first met, five, seven, seven, eight years ago, I think now. Uh, so yeah, being able to split my time between here and London is is nice. I'm I'm pretty happy, pretty content with where I am in life at the minute. Uh, are you still playing? You still involved with rugby at all? Sadly, not. Uh, I mean, I think I'm still young enough, but most of my injuries that plagued me through my professional career uh, really caught up with me already. And that, that's something I need to, I'm continually to continuing to manage um, even, even these days. And I, I, I knocked it on the head, unfortunately. Um, what are you doing for work-wise? Uh, judging by your Instagram post, you're still very active. Yeah. Yeah. The good thing, the good thing is, uh, I kind of transitioned into being a personal trainer post post pro sport. Uh, I think I was always into into that side of things and looking after myself. Um, so it seemed to be a smooth transition, and yeah, and, and now I pretty much help other people do do similar thing. <laughs> Are there any any times on on the sort of the Monday mornings at the start of the week when you you meet a client and they've been playing on the Saturday and go, "Come on, come on," and you're getting a bit too old for this. Me? No, 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 not at all. Not at all. <laughs> You're always very diplomatic with your clients. I mean, absolutely. And a lot of the people that I do train aren't actually uh, sports people. So uh, I'm kind of helping. I'm, I'm more down the, the road of the everyday the everyday man. But I mean, I have trained sports people in uh, in the in the last part, over the last five years. But yeah, I think I've, I've, I've found like the people that I think I uh, can help and benefit more from from my approach uh, are those in the uh, older category and not necessarily sports people. <laughs> um, so we go back to cut to the chase. Um, sort of the, the, the way we introduced you, obviously August, 2015, the Sunday times newspaper, the article Stephen Jones wrote about you. Um, yeah. You let the world know um, of your sexual orientation that you were gay. Um, yeah. I mean, how, how big a step was that for you and, and how long had that been, been coming? Yeah, it's, uh, seems such, it seems a lifetime ago now. 
I think at, at the time it was something that I mean I wasn't looking to do it. It was one of those where I only maybe four or five months earlier when I was involved in the England Seven setup, um, had I actually I'd already kind of announced announced it, told told those that were close to me um, that I was that I was gay. Obviously, being in being in pro sport is always quite well. We think it's quite challenging. But back in 2012, I guess I would have to start with that's when I had told those that were extremely close to me. Obviously, my um, my family and they were all accept well accepting of it. And then any anyone else really that I told after that, it, it didn't really matter to me. But the whole 2015, I suppose it starts really with with Ben Cohen. Funnily enough, I knew. I mean, if you want me to go into that detail. Happy for me please do, please do. Yeah, the more detail, the better. Is. Obviously, he's, he's he's highly involved, isn't he, with LGBT <laughs> charities and and awareness work, isn't he? He he is. I'm, I mean, I'm not actually aware if, if he's still doing it, but he had a, he had a foundation, a charity, um, a foundation called Stand Up to Bullying and Homophobia, and uh, I actually came across that. Sorry, I should probably mention the first guy that I actually did talk to. Uh, and he was a guy who worked for his name was Sid Ziegler. And he worked for, or his company is Outsports.com. I don't really think that's probably been mentioned in, in the years actually. But he was the first one, and he is the one who put me in touch with Ben Cohen, who I subsequently met in London uh, for a coffee one time, and gave me all these this great advice. Um, and he's the one who recommended Steve Jones. So he was really the the catalyst, I guess, to help me do this. But it was one of those where he was kind of saying like this could be a huge influence for youngsters uh, which from the messages I've had over the over the years was that when he was absolutely right um but yeah I think I think I was just mentally in a good place and and content with myself and accepting myself I suppose um that I was ready to kind of take 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 the uh, that that step uh, and of course you had just joined eating trail finders for full disclosure, that's where I was working at the time. That's where I got to know you the first, in the first instant. Um, how did you go? Obviously, yeah. there were new teammates. One or two of them you would have known. You knew Callum Wilson. You knew from England Sevens, didn't you? And one or two others. But on the whole, a lot of new teammates. How did you go about sort of breaking, breaking the news to them? And and how did you sort of your thought process go in in anticipation of of this story coming out? Great question. Uh... I think this, so there, there's always an initiation within rugby so there was the uh, the team social that we that we'd been on it was almost like it was a good opportunity to actually Callum was such a good good help in those days he was unbelievably good with uh, just talking about it openly because obviously I'd played sevens I'd have come out to my England sevens teammates in February of that year so they'd all known and there was still time I'd, I'd finished there in June so had had that good time. I was still like getting to talk to the players about it. People are obviously intrigued, asking questions and how it was. Um, and Callum was great with that. Obviously, then both of us going to Ealing at the time, it, it, there were still questions being asked about like private life, etc. Um, and and I guess like just because I come out to these like other teammates didn't mean it had got around as as, as small as the rugby world is. Um. And then it was actually on a social. So it was a social. So um, I don't know if you've done a round of pub golf, but it's going around different <laughs> pubs, having a drink, and 
in each. Uh, and, and it got to a t- probably about, I think I didn't really make it that far, to be fair, before I had to, to pull out. But yeah, it was, it was, we were on Richmond Green, funnily enough, and it was almost like another announcement to them before it came out publicly. Um, and then all the boys were just jumping up, cheering, etc., which which was quite, yeah, overwhelming. But, but you know, after that, it was like, oh, let's let's uh, let's move on. Let's go play some rugby, pretty much. And and yeah, it's, it's a huge, uh, huge relief in a way. Even though I'd already done it, it, is yeah, you're you're constantly kind of having to do it if you go into a new team who might not necessarily know you. You know, you it, yeah, it was a huge huge relief and. That was ultimately the way it came out to my Ealing teammates at the time. Now, earlier on in the year, the rugby league player Keegan Hurst, he'd uh, he he made a similar announcement. Obviously, he was married with children, wasn't he? As well, I mean, the reaction that he got again was very yeah. positive, um, and you know, nothing really negative uh, in the mainstream, at least. Um, how did that help you with with when you took that step? Were you aware of the of, of how he had been received? Uh, I wasn't actually, but I think I'd accepted. Like when you do something like this, there are always going to be differing opinions. Uh, so, as long as you, you you're happy with yourself, then it wasn't necessarily going to be an issue. Because uh, I think I, would, I was already on. I had the interview with Stephen Jones at the time already. I think, and and Keegan Hurst had come out. I was like, oh, cool. There are so there are other people, obviously. And obviously, knowing Gareth Thomas, etc., was the first person to kind of pave the way. Um, but but yeah, I mean, like seeing Keegan having done it, but I mean, I didn't necessarily read into all the all the comments, but it was similar to mine. There have, have been some comments I've seen on on certain threads that are quite uh, <laughs> quite quite funny to to read also. But yeah, once you once you kind of accept it, have, have accepted yourself, all these any negative comments weren't going to necessarily be an issue. But Keegan's coming out certainly inspired inspired my decision and helped help me realize okay this is, this is a good thing it could be a good thing for others now of course it, it, the reaction to it and the main it was it was pretty good you were in was it the front of gay times you were you were photographed on was it attitude one of the magazines yep. wasn't it it was then, gay times yeah gay times yeah, yeah i remember being in the office there at Ealing and getting a phone elton john had a chat with El- was it elton john gave you a call at one point and they were umpteen different conferences itv i remember itv coming down uh, that that is sort of response, especially so. Let's be honest; it's not obvi- every day. Elton John phones you up for a bit of a chat. I mean, what was what was that like for you to have those the, that that sort of experience? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was a bit of a a, sh- a shock, to be fair, uh, with Elton John. Funnily enough, I'd had uh, I think it was probably only the tenth time that I answered his his phone call because he'd called me from a French number. And I was like, "Who's? Why is there a French number?" Continue to call me, and I left it and left it. And obviously, some of the missed calls I was training or doing whatever, but never left me a voicemail. So I just thought I'd answer it. One time, I was sitting in sitting in the change room actually, um, next to Danny Kenny, one of my old teammates, good friend. And uh, yeah, I was just like, he was like, "Hi, Sam, it's Elton." I'm making sure it wasn't wasn't one of the boys just like you know, taking taking the mic. Um, but then yeah, just end up calling him. I think he Elton's pretty good with that. I think he does call a lot of like a lot of people that finally take their step. I think he does similar to to everyone, but still, it's 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 a nice touch that he has. You weren't tempted to uh, put him on speakerphone in the change room, getting to sing to the ch- uh, to the lads. I think I think I was too uh, too shocked. Really, I was thinking 
I remember hanging up and just being like, well, that was weird. <laughs> but yeah, it is, is what it is. I mean, I'm not I'm not necessarily starstruck. I you know, I don't look up or down to anybody, but that was one of those where I was like, okay, fair play for his influence, particularly on LGBT um individuals. Big of course, there. yeah, I mean at the time as well, you were you were in a relationship with the same same gentleman you are right now, Lawrence. Um how did he find it all? How did how did he take uh you know being such a high profile way of doing it? Uh, that's a great question. And I think I was actually yeah, I, I'd done the or knew I was having the interview and, and hadn't really told him that I was doing the interview and, and I think he had to obviously then realise, well, if you're coming out so publicly and I'm your partner, then obviously people that are gonna know about me, um which he was he was absolutely fine with because he'd obviously had the whole story of telling his children, long story, he was, yeah, he's got two children himself. So he'd done all that already before he kind of met me. So this was but but obviously some close friends of his didn't know. So this was obviously gonna be him coming out as well in, in a way. But thankfully, he was understanding. Uh, I think he knew that it was um, bigger than us. It wasn't, as you know, it's, sometimes I think there's that understanding that people can do this for selfish reasons. But ultimately, this was, uh, yeah, this was something that was bigger than us and has, has evidently been influential to other youngsters and hopefully other rugby players, etc., and sports people. Uh, yeah, and they like say he's he's got the two got two children so he's got a slightly different as you mentioned slightly different uh story as we all do i suppose but um yeah i mean there were one or two negative uh comments were they not on on social media that you you there were elements of gold digging you're the younger man he's slightly you know he's a bit older what may i ask what the age difference is yeah so it's a big age difference it's 34 years um, but this is, I mean, even that for such a long time, I, I always questioned who myself based on one being gay, but then there's obviously the, not just being into older gentlemen, but then older, bigger gentlemen. So it was like taking like three hits. It was, I remember like the first ever person that, um, I told was my mum, but the first person that, that knew about it was my ex-girlfriend and who's like, who's pretty much, she's my best friend now. Um, she still she just doesn't understand it we we laugh about it all the time because yeah, i i mean it took me long enough to wrap my head around the whole what it was different to the norm uh what what most of society thinks it just it kind of is for me it's just it, that's just how how i am it's just just what it is it, it, there's not like there's obviously not necessarily has to be a particular age gap but it just happened to be that we met um, which seemed the right time for both of us, actually. And 13 years on, we're still together. Okay. So, yeah, sorry. I mean, answering your question about the whole whole gold digger thing, et cetera, Jesse, yeah, you're right. That, that There were there are times where people were obviously going to say that, right? You could still be the – even if you were the younger person and you were the breadwinner in a relationship, there will always be the comment about, oh, gold digger, gold digger. It's like, well, what happens if the tables are turned? Well, is what it is. So these comments, people are going to – Stay them regardless. So, yeah, always. Sadly, always. There's always going to be a negative. There's always going to be a negative reaction from someone somewhere. And does it it disappoint you way that it's almost seen as inevitable that something like that, when it does come along, you sort of have to shrug your shoulders and 
and and brush it off almost. Absolutely, I think anyone that that really tries to do something, attempt something, there's always going to be some sort of backlash, and it's just I don't know what it is with human nature, but it seems that whenever someone does something, whether someone succeeds, someone always wants to try and bring you back down, um, and that happens all the time. You'll see it with pro England rugby players, uh, professional sports people. I guess Cristiano Ronaldo and Messi are the best examples of this. And people are always like they're incredible athletes, incredible people, but there are always people that just dislike, dislike them regardless. Like you could you could be the nicest person in the world and someone will find a way to dislike you. So it's one of those almost accepting that, setting your expectations for it um, and realise there's always going to be good and bad in everything. Yeah. I was just going to mention the, uh, the negativity bias with human behavior so that, that's really ultimately what it is it's some people may just do it purely purely to get awareness of themselves etc and sadly that's just the way that some sometimes the world does work uh, now you were uh, you mentioned your ex-girlfriend is it remy are you have i got that pronunciation correct remy um yeah so what stage of Good your research. life that's that's right. We have to. We have to. There's a lot, lots on the sheet. Um, but yeah, Remy, she was an ex-girlfriend. What stage of your life what did that happen? And and you know, sort of, was it a, a, almost a last attempt to 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 prove to yourself that 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 you weren't gay? Uh, it wasn't actually. Um, we I childhood friends as well, so we've always had this on and off thing and. Probably as, as I'm going through these different experiences of trying to accept whether I was or wasn't, um, which is the sad thing in itself. Because um, ultimately, as I've seen, like say with my part uh, with my partner Lawrence, he's he was married to a woman for such a long time, and and then I know that can have uh, negative effects on on her side. You know, she's like, you think you're with a person for for life, and then all of a sudden they're gay. It's not like they're cheating with a another woman where there's always that 1% chance that something could um, be reignited. This is, you know, there's nothing you can do about as a, as a, as a female. And that's, I never really wanted to do that to her. And I felt that I was, I was doing that to her at the time. And this is my best friend. I'm doing this too as well. So this is only going to ever end in tears. And thankfully, I think I, after having accepted it, um, she i think she just knew and that was ultimately the the icebreaker for me in terms of well someone actually knows about me now and uh, yeah she was the first ever person and was a huge influence in actually where i am today i think uh, she was actually it started with her and then then went on uh, yeah with that, those 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 later steps as later when you told people later on knowing she was in your corner how how important was that for you very important, yes. Yeah. So, yeah, I was unsure of how to how to go about it, about this whole thing, and, and ultimately that probably um, led me to a time of being in that place where you get get to a really dark place, and it's like it's, it just seemed easier to just not have to deal with it. So, um, yeah, she was a huge huge influence, huge help, and thankfully it was kind of help me realize look even if these people aren't okay with it even if your family aren't okay with it i've i've always got your back kind of thing and that that was uh yeah massively helpful um so we bring it back to your the very start from you the family name stan as i mentioned you've got one of the 
got a very famous, especially in rugby circles. As you said, I've, I've done a bit of research uh, into the because you've got your uncle Joe, smoking Joe Stanley. He was in the '87 All Blacks, won the first Rugby World Cup in '87. His son Jeremy played for the played for the All Blacks in some capacity as well. Now he's apparently he's a leading orthopedic surgeon in in New Zealand. Um, there was cousins Benson and Winston. One played in France. The other one played for Harlequins for a long time. There's your brother Mike, who played for Samoa at the 2015 World Cup. You've got a couple of cousins, Case and Chase and Carl, both played rugby league in Australia. Stop me if I've missed anyone. And then you've got cousin Tim Cahill, one of Australia's greatest footballers, and Sean Maitland, who plays for Saracens and Scotland. Do you ever just out of curiosity? Did you and Sean ever play alongside one another for Saracens? Do you ever cross over? Sadly, sadly, no, we never. We've, we've caught up because obviously I've been to a few games at Sarri since I stopped playing there and um, since he's been playing there and yeah, caught up with him at a dinner actually we were both at not too long ago because we had never actually met in person before and obviously you know, we had that had that connection and relation uh, yeah, there's, there's always there's, you know, I wanted to support him and meet him um, but yeah, sadly I didn't actually ever get to play alongside him um, Have I missed anyone off that list? Because it's fairly extensive Across three sports, three different names. Oh, yeah, we pretty no, much up to no, you're, no, that. that yeah, I think so. I think. I mean, if you can count, like, well, it's not. Well, she is Jeremy. Jeremy's wife was a New Zealand netball captain. Um, she she counts <laughs> against. She's part of the family, so you know. Good yeah, sporting genes. Yeah, I mean, what should be to me a cousin, my first one. Yeah. <laughs> the sporting genes. Yeah, I mean, well, sure. look, he, he, Jer- Jeremy is definitely the brains. Jeremy was the brains of the family, obviously. Well, I say, good name for it. That's why. But yeah, that's um, there. Yeah, that's that. I think. <laughs> I think you've got you got them all. Um, yeah, I mean, they were most of them in New Zealand, some in Australia. Uh, so growing up over here in uh, in Essex, um, how aware of you were you of the of the family name growing up? Or was it just something that wasn't? It was just your surname, basically. Yeah, uh, I mean, my dad always, my dad got us into rugby from an early age. I started playing when I was four years old. So it was obviously his intention to to hope that we would become professional. Obviously, my uncle having played for the All Blacks, but then the, the inaugural World Cup won, won the Rugby World Cup, which is mind-blowing really for most people. I suppose that, that it did help. I was aware that obviously my uncle was this huge, huge name. Um that was hopefully to try to follow in those footsteps, I, I guess. So, yeah, it, it definitely helped with um, with self-belief, understanding that, okay, well, if someone, if my uncle can do this, it must, it's obviously um, achievable for, uh, by me, but now it's just obviously following the steps to try to get there, ultimately. So, yeah, I was, I was always always aware of it acutely and, yeah, and got to meet, got to meet some pretty, um, big names when I was like a young kid, so yeah, they always always had that always had those like inspiring people around. This is the All Is podcast by Give a Ruck with me, Jeremy Inson. I'm talking to Sam Stanley, who's telling us all about life as an LGBT elite player. Thurrock was your local club, wasn't it? You and your brother went down to. How soon was it when you two started to show that you were you were better than average? You had some skills that could that could take you uh, some distance in the game. It's, it's, it's a funny one. Probably like even from a young age, we always wanted the ball. So we were always running. And my dad always used to, he used to video the videos 
play pretty much all, all our games when he could. Those big, huge, like <laughs> recording, <laughs> those recording tapes. Just need an iPhone. Need an iPhone these days. But back in the day, he had this massive thing on his shoulder, um, and it's always just watching your games back and thinking, "Oh, cool. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty, pretty, pretty good at doing this." I mean, quite a young age, but again, it doesn't really necessarily mean. I think from that age, you think you can take on the world, right? Uh, so yeah, it's just like over the over the next few years, probably from about ten to thirteen, you start having these other coaches that are saying, "Oh, like telling my parents that actually these guys are really, really good," and that probably um, brings the self the belief in, in in self to be able to do stuff. Then it was actually my older brother, um, Mike, who really like led the way first. Uh, he he made Saracens Academy, which was massive um, for the family at the time. So cool! This this is that one one step, and um, kind of on from there. I remember actually, obviously, you get to county level from you, you can play for like under I think it's Essex under thirteen. But I remember there were always trials and everything, and this the belief was there. Okay, cool. This is the first step. And actually, I never received the letter. People were sent letters at the time. It was never, there was no email, it was not, as, not as it was mm. today. So I never went to the first, like, they they, they would select people for um, to obviously come and trial for Essex. But I I should have been there, but I never got the letter. So I thought I hadn't made it. And I, was de- I <laughs> can just remember being very devastated about it. Um, and it wasn't until, like, the, the, next, the next day at school that, uh, some other teammates from Thorick that that had been selected were saying you should you should have been there. They were asking where you were, and I was like, didn't didn't receive a letter. So funny, really. And then you know, was from there, it's like, okay, great. Just try not to look back. Yeah. Now, when you look back on those days, or those sort of slightly carefree days of your youth, um, what do you feel? What what do you look back on and and think? You're just playing a game you love. You know, I, I remember my mum always used to say, like, sometimes I would sleep in my rugby kit. I would be like a 10-year-old kid with my rugby boots on, ready to go. Um, every Sunday, my parents wouldn't need to come and wake me up. I would always be there waking them up, ready to ready to get get playing and get going to your 10 a.m. starts at the, at the local rugby club. Um, but really, I mean, from obviously from my whole like, being gay at the time, I think you, I was probably questioning myself from about the age of like eight to nine years old. So really really early but it never really concerned me when i was playing or going into trying to play rugby i didn't really know what was happening or what it was um great days though great days happy day happiest of days i might say but uh, with your samoan your obviously samoan new zealand heritage um did that ever come into play was that ever picked up on by the other kids or was it picked up on by coaches thinking yeah this lad's going to be uh something special uh, yeah, I, I guess like people must have known that my dad, my dad's brother, was an All Black. Um, and, and when I was younger, my uncle, my uncle used to come over. He, he had a company uh, called New Zealand Rugby Experience, which used to do rugby camps around the UK, or kind of London, Kent, and Hertfordshire. He used to have like go to rugby clubs and and help help young kids like learn the the New Zealand the New Zealand way of playing. So yeah, I think they're 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 quite they're aware of like who my uncle was, but obviously that means nothing, but obviously does help with um, potential opportunities because people, as you said, oh, it's in the genes and that's always there, isn't it? Oh, if his uncle's played for New Zealand and won the Rugby World Cup, maybe maybe he's got something about him. So there was maybe even that subconscious um, mindset around it. Uh, now you've said in the past it was about 10, 11, you just said you know, eight, nine, starting to feel a bit different from 
the other kids in terms of perhaps who caught your eye or, or just not being interested in you know, <laughs> in, in you know, chasing girls. Um, you went off to it was about sixteen. You went off to the Saracens Academy. Um, you know, obviously somewhere like that, chance I could be very, very sorry, very macho, very heterosexual driven. What was that like for you? Obviously, by sixteen, you know yourself a little bit more and understand yourself a bit more. What was it like being sort of thrust into that environment? You're around the M25. Um, how did you get on? Uh, I think that it was like circumstances where I was probably, I was still in a you know, place like probably around that 16 as I kind of moved out from my family home. There was obviously still questions, but probably a bit more freedom to my more independence and I guess I was probably like working myself out a bit more, figuring myself out. But that was always secondary um, at the time. I remember just, you know, this is what an opportunity this is to become a professional rugby player, to to achieve a dream from being like a four-year-old kid um, to, to playing for County, to being, okay, I'm part of this thing. And even though I, was, I, I went to Sarri's, from 16, I was kind of at their, their feeder college, but still able to go train on, on uh, particular days with with uh, the academy and then sometimes the first team it was it was incredible to get a taste of it but you know that that was really the driver at the time i remember yeah just thinking okay this has got to be something super secretive which was obviously frustrating on one hand but on the second but on on the other hand it was kind of like you know this this is this is what i'm here to do this is what i want to achieve um and i've got to kind of put this to the side for the time being at least, because I think they don't go hand in hand. During your time at Saracens, were there times when perhaps you got a little bit older and you sort of moved up through the academy where where lads were coming in about on Monday morning and, and talking about their weekend conquests um, and, you know, or perhaps on a Saturday you finish training, you finish playing and, the you know, what are we doing tonight type thing. Um, how How often did that, come across your path how often did those sort of situations arise pretty much every weekend <laughs> yeah it's a, it's a, it's a, I, mean, I don't know if I've spoken publicly about it before but there, there were teammates that sometimes when I was younger using this is gay that's gay as in, in a derogatory manner that was something I used mm-hmm. but then how could I expect even though like I knew it knew who I was I was kind of using this I don't know if it was more like just to cover up because people wouldn't suspect in a way, but there were times in in, like, in gym rooms where people innocently, innocently, but the effect it could have on someone that is gay now that isn't that is still questioning themselves, for example. So I do I do remember at the time there were a few teammates that would come in and you know you obviously got people that are uh, roaming around the change rooms naked, and then one of the boys had a comment about. Could you imagine if we had a gay teammate and, and we had all these people running, uh, walking around naked? It's like, it's not how it works. It was quite an ignorant comment at the time. It was like, mm, zip it, just don't say anything. Let the other guys have their have their moment because yeah, it's it's one of those where they're, they're looking for a banter. Ultimately, it's between between guys at the time. Um, only really until I came out did, did people realize, oh goodness, like what the, what they'd said and yeah, these are experiences you go through and hopefully just. I think it's getting better, certainly getting better that people are a bit more aware of um, there could potentially be someone that's gay in their, in their team, yet not comfortable with who they are. I know in the past, uh, reading 
Scott Cornell, uh, when he was player, he he was a uh, dyslexic, and he said he had different ways to to hide the fact he, he's reading and writing, and was, was pretty appalling. Um, was that something that you came up with? You know, you mentioned the fact you joined in with a little bit of the banter. You know, if there was a big thing going on the Saturday night, being a social, um, was were they sort of things you sort of would, would edge away from and, and find ways not to have gone? Yeah, he was always had this. Uh... Always had my story. <laughs> made sure I had it down to a T to to make sure uh, nobody found out. And and some like in in the early days, I would live with I lived with a few teammates. Um, George Cruz was a former house housemate of mine, but none of these guys would ever have known. And and I would use it if I wasn't playing on a weekend I'd, because I had my family quite reasonably close, but still like a good hour away plus if on a bad day. Um, I would always like Lawrence Lawrence, my my partner. He lived. 10 minutes away from where I was. He lived in Harpenden. I was in St. Albans. The, the training ground is right in between St. Albans and, and Harpenden. Um, it still is to, the, to this day, actually. So I would pretend to like housemates. I was going back to my parents to catch up and see all these people. But actually, I'd always go and spend time with Lawrence and getting to obviously know him better. But it was just, there was always this, uh, I was always afraid that um, I'd bump into other people here and there. It was just, and that I think was was uh, taking its toll on me mentally um, for, for for a long period of time. And sadly, I think as a result of that and me trying to avoid going out on nights out with the guys where you kind of see these relationships, um, I was just avoiding. Mark Foster, the the swimmer, um, he he was saying that the fact that he was he was keeping his sexuality quiet, he felt that that did affect his his uh his performance things like the olympics world championships uh how much was that the same for you and, and especially when you sort of moved on to england and the profile is, is that much higher than, than it would have been at saracens yeah uh yeah it definitely does because you're, you're, hi- you're hiding yourself so you can't bring your your complete self to work you, you're looking for if something is said and all these little details just take their toll on your mental health and then you're not really thinking as clearly as what you may be if if you can completely be honest and open with with our teammates what, what were you up to the weekend shit 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 what have i what's, what was my story again what was my story again and you you you've got to try to make sure that you remember what you said to someone else in case something else came up and even particularly being sevens because at saracens you've got a squad of 50 to 60 players um Whereas with uh, with sevens, it's a really tight knit group, and I don't think it was ever any more than eighteen at one time, for eighteen professionals. But obviously, that's more of a tight knit group. You're you're traveling the world together. You're staying in hotel rooms a, a lot more together. Um, so people are obviously going to ask questions and like, oh, how, what are you doing? How are you how are you doing? Like, where where are you living? Like, what, like how like how's your makeup of your life here and there? And there's always curiosity between other teammates because they're like. I wonder what he does. Like, I've got a girlfriend, but I wonder what Sam gets up to. And I think it was, uh, I remember Phil Burgess at the time asked me, what'd you get up to the weekends? Because he was quite a, uh, curious, curious with, with all that stuff. And he, but he, he's really good with people. Uh, and I just remember being like, oh no, um, um, <laughs> you know, I go and see my family, go and do this. Uh, extending, like making like, making things up. And I just like, this is ridiculous. Um so I remember just like thinking at that time, oh, I've got to do something about it. That was kind of like the, the the one time I remember having having that conversation with Phil, thinking, 
I've got to stop doing this. I'm, I'm, I've done, I've done similar at Saracens. I've probably missed out on relationships that I was like some of the guys that I came through Saracens with who are England still playing for England right now. Um, and I didn't want to do that. I continue to do that and continue to do that. Every team I went to, um, see, so yeah, I just remember having that conversation and thinking, what am I doing? I don't want to, like, if someone asked, if one of my teammates who I'm supposed to be this close, to, like, super close to, I always felt like the tighter you are off the field, the tighter you are on the field. And, and that just, I just wasn't allowing anybody to come, to come in, really. Um, how about coaching staff and, and other staff around the club, you know, both at Saracens and, uh, and, and on the England Seven circuit? Mm. Was there any, was there any hint from, from coaches uh, or, or from members of staff? that they you know they say hang on you know you spend a lot of time with your family you, you've got a lot of cousins type type comments <laughs> um no there never really was but thankfully i mean there's always there's always like because actually i remember being with uh, some of my teammates one time and actually bumped into lawrence in london and they were with me and then, and then there was like a few questions like oh who was that um it was like all like I think he realized I can't. I'm not obviously going to tell him, but he still he didn't ignore me. So he came and said hello, and I was just like, uh, uh. it could have just been a fan. You just never know. Someone may may have just known uh, as a rugby player. You just don't know this this yeah. this sort of thing. So that kind of just brush. You, you find the way you brush it off, and and one thing you get used to is that we all like talking about ourselves most of the time. So you ask them a question, and then they'll go on to something else, and then yeah, you're away with it. Yeah, people's memories aren't uh, aren't very long if they're not interested, and they'll soon forget about him. Um, the one thing I did notice you you put on your Instagram recently. You talked about coach. Uh, you said you're in a very good place mentally and 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 physically. You, you felt good in yourself, and the coach didn't particularly like that. I've slightly uh, moving away from the, the just onto the playing side. Um, what was that like? I mean, were there times? Just in as a, as a just as a general player that you think yeah I'm really really going and then suddenly for whatever reason the coach takes against you almost yeah I mean sometimes I think in in rugby it does take it does take one coach to either like you or, or dislike you in a way to and that can actually impact your career in quite quite a uh, a big way or or a negative way um, but really the the point of that that post was more more because I've, I was always such a people pleaser. So I was always thinking that um, just just be nice to everybody, which which I which I still am, but with with a different mindset behind it. Ultimately, it's that was probably my first real experience of knowing or thinking that look, even though I'm I'm physically, mentally in, in such an awesome place, like I'm I'm ready to go, ready to try to. I was obviously coming back from uh, an, an, my second ACL injury at the time, um, so I was just getting some game time. Um, elsewhere and I remember rocking up to a training session I was in a great place I was I was confident in myself confident in my skills but even though I wasn't like to a cocky in my head obviously there's someone else it was and and sadly that was the coach and the only reason I found out was because one of the one of my other coaches actually said to me um like brought me in and actually said to me so they had obviously had the conversation and probably as a reason as to why he wasn't picking me um that particularly that weekend and then it was kind of like the relationship sort of soured and I was just like look I need to go elsewhere um and and ultimately that's what ended up happening but um yeah it, it was just a, it was just an eye-opener to think 
regardless of what we do in this life, there will always be someone that, that won't like it. You could be the nicest person in the world, um, treat everyone unbelievably well, but someone will find a way, oh yeah, but this is this is wrong with him or this is that. And that that isn't really, I, you can't control other people's opinions on us. And that was one thing I thought that I probably could do back at, back in those early days of being a pro rugby player. And luckily I don't have that opinion anymore, that mindset. Now, at the same time you were at Saracens, your brother was was having uh, Mike. He'd he'd come through to the professional era, uh, and he had his had his own struggles, more a physical thing in, in terms of his injuries. He was at Ulster for a while, and then went back down to was it Counties Manukau down in New Zealand. He went and played for them for a bit, um, and of course it it came good in the end. He, he eight caps for Samoa Rugby World Cup appearance. Um, how does that sort of how did that balance up with what you were going through sort of um ha- with him having like i say on the physical side yours was more mental side um the sort mm. of the struggles you had together was there ever any sort of comparison of notes or or just trying to build each other up mike was a huge huge influence because he he's the one who kind of he started it. He started. He got the ball rolling really in terms of he he ended up making England under sixteen, which is our first opportunity, first opportunity for a rugby player to play for the country. Um, and it's huge. Everything is big at the time, isn't it? It's like under sixteen, you just made the first team. And Mike was yeah, he was always every. I remember just watching him as a kid. He was always like head and shoulders above anyone he was playing against. Um, and we find we his I mean his story is a great one. But our first game together was the time where. Brendan Venter was kind of, I think he was obviously coming in. There were obviously talks him and Saracens with Eddie Jones leaving the club, et cetera, at the time. You know, the whole takeover back in 2009. And me and Mike had played our first game together. I was playing at 10. He was at 12. Uh, and I think I remember even at the time, he was he, he just didn't have, have, have his best game. But that game happened to be the one that Brendan Venter was watching um, to kind of select his team going forward. And I guess who out of the academy is staying? Who at the academy did he want to get rid of? And I think he was offered a, an academy contract, but he just didn't. He didn't. He didn't. Um, I think he thought at the time he was he he wanted a professional contract, the actual full time first time uh, first team contract. Uh, so I'm not sure they came to agreement, and and sadly that that ended for him there. He just that game. I think he he just wasn't wasn't himself, and that happens. That, you know, you, you don't you're not a hundred percent hundred percent of the time. And sometimes some things don't go your way, but you know when they say uh, play play every game as if it's your last, and sadly that was one of those games for us, um, and didn't go his way. But after that adversity, I suppose that was probably his real first bit of adversity in terms of not being selected because he was always every single team. They used to do something. Uh, they got rid of it, but before I got uh, became like under sixteen and seventeen, um, Mike was part of this thing called the Junior National Academy. There was like the top 20 players um, in, in England. It wasn't like just making England 16 or 18. It was like the top of the top. So it was like the best of the best. So there was huge, you know, there was there was obviously like coaches were seeing his potential. Um, but yeah, that was his first first bit where probably he had been told, oh, no, sadly. And, you know, he, he obviously went a bit down from there, but worked his way back up and ended up playing in the Rugby World Cup, which you can't take away from. The Rugby World Cup came sort of two, three months after the article in the Sunday Times at the end of 2015. So, I mean, it must have been a, a proud moment for the, the Stanley boys, um, you know, sort of 
yeah. those of that that weight that had been on your shoulders, perhaps both of you um, sort of felt lifted almost. Yeah, yeah. Particularly from from my point of view, like this was something we call like all my teammates were fine with it. I, it's out there now. There's nothing I can do about it now. Do you know, like once once you've done something, once you've said something, it's out there. How people react is is really a reflection of how they view the world. Um, so for me, I was in a great place. I was like, sweet, that's, that's brilliant. And then for Mike to have gone and made the Samoan Rugby World Cup team, huge, huge. Like, um, yeah, the family were in a pretty pretty good place. Proud, proud moments again. And also, I mean, my cousin, our cousin, mine and Mike's cousin, were um, Winston also made the team with him. So, yeah, it was, it was pretty awesome. And funnily enough, they stayed at the Lensbury where we used to train England seven. So got a bit, had a bit of catching up with them at the time, which was which was nice. And then obviously uh, Samoa played England at Twickenham, um, which Mike and Willie were both involved in. So yeah, it was pretty pretty cool time. This is the All Is podcast by Give a Ruck with me, Jeremy Inson. I'm talking to Sam Stanley, who's telling us all about life as an LGBT elite player. Going back to those those days when you're in the Saracens Academy, you mentioned in the past um, the sort of the slight contemplation of suicide. Um, you mentioned you stood on a bridge in Essex at some point. Um, how close was it? How close was that a, a genuine attempt? And how close was it of of just a chance, a way of you reminding yourself what what was important to you? I look, I look at it and think like what a cowardly act it, it would have been, but also people do do it. So I, I had to kind of be careful with my words. Um, I mean, I feel at the time, if I look back mentally, I was gone mentally. I was like, this, this I'm, I'm done. So I, so I just, I just, I don't really know what, what stopped me. Um, How old were you at the time? But 2011 sort of been like literally, uh, Around my birthday weekend, so I, it was like the, the birthday weekend of uh, when I was just turning 21. Yeah, uh, 20, 20, 2021, yeah, like in, in November. I remember the time being actually ended up going for a meal with my family not too not too long after that. Um, and I remember my mum think my mum asking the question of like how quiet I was, etc. So I, I guess my action, I was obviously acting. Um, the way I was acting was obviously quite obvious to to my mum, but I don't think she had ever had that. I was thinking those thoughts at the time, and she she didn't know anything yet. Uh, so that would have been two thousand and eleven because I told my mum in two thousand and twelve. So it was before she knew at all. So yeah, yeah. So pretty and and you know I think at the time there was that, but also I was actually that was during my first ACL injury. So it was one of those where oh man, I've I just I've, had this huge these things were kind of just stacking it seemed like one was stacking on top of the other so i think it was yeah a bit of a bit of a mixture of a tough time that i, I felt was going through yeah and what what brought you down what what convinced you not to to yeah to go through with it it's not so it's not so vivid anymore um I think we're just thinking how, like, I guess how. I couldn't tell you. I couldn't tell you, just to be, to be fair. I can't remember, like, the, I just remember, like, my mind being, I was gone mentally, but I have no idea what kind of did, did actually stop me. Um, wasn't necessarily a thought that I had that, no, I shouldn't do this. But yeah, it was uh, just one of those things. Maybe it was just, I was too scared, actually, probably. 
to even do it. We're well, certainly glad you didn't. Um, of course, staying with rugby, um, a few years ago, Israel Falau, his comments. Of course, you you know you was you know you, you told him your thoughts and uh, and uh, in no uncertain terms. I mean, somewhat Israel Falau, of course, someone with a with a bit of an Islander background, similar to yourself across two sports, uh, rugby league and rugby union, those sort of comments they came out with. I mean, how how disappointing were they? How upsetting were they to see um, in light of the progress that that has been made that, you know, after 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 your um, revelation coming out, uh, that, yeah, that there's still people within the sport coming out with comments like that? Uh, personally, it didn't... Didn't affect me so much from a from a mental point of view anymore because you know I was in a good place. But I, I just know the effect that it would have on other people that like my, myself in two thousand eleven, right? If 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 at the time that that version of me had heard something similar at that time, then I don't know. Maybe I'd have had a different story. Maybe I'd have take. Maybe I've done something. You just that that has hugely negative uh, consequences. Um, but yeah. This is one of those things where I try to take like a bit more of a a wider view on wider view on things. It's his 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 way of that he may have been brought up to think this way. So people can you know from a young age we can be brainwashed into thinking whatever. And if you're if you're constantly reinforcing those that mindset that behavior, religion sadly to a degree does this. Um, and I mean that's what it was all based on his faith and what yeah. sinning was, etc. Um, and who should, who should go to hell? Which you know, that's, it, it's quite it's quite comical to a degree from from my perspective. But know that other people that are gay are religious, and that's fine. We need a reason for some people just need a reason. Well, a lot of the world need a reason for understanding what we're doing here. Um, so that is just his view. It's it's not for us to kind of intervene and, and tell him how to think. This is a better way to think. It's just not being uh, horrible. Just try to not do any any harm to anybody and maybe he didn't realize the uh the impact that that would have on other people and ultimately on his career i, I was gonna i was gonna add to it because i always wanted to get this off my off, off my chest and it was one of those where look he, he'd put it and then there were other rugby players that liked it so then there was huge uproar on that so like even former teammates of mine um, say Billy Vunapola, he he liked it, but there's no malice in that. He just kind of agreed. He's he's a religious guy himself, and Billy and I have had this conversation um, since then. I, I I kind of caught up with him at, at dinner. We were both at um, in 2021, and we had this conversation. It's like he doesn't do any harm in it. He just that's his way of thinking. It's how he deals with it. So say like you and I were both brought up believing the same thing. But then our experiences become different because we one of us might travel a lot more than others. You, your mind opens a bit more. You realize that, well, these people, are. this is just how they are. Um, even though this book has gone and said this, it doesn't necessarily mean they're the devil. Um, and that's kind of the way, like, like people say, look, no, it doesn't care. They just blew it up a lot, a lot more than it actually was. And I think that was evident for me because I was in ITV rang me um and I did an interview outside Twickenham because I lived in Mortlake at the time. And I did an interview with them, which I think they were trying to get a story out of me, but I wasn't kind of giving anything away, which was sad, which was quite sad. You know, well, well, what do you think of Billy in this? And I was like, well, you know, this, people think how they think. It's I'm not going to go and like, <laughs> 
hang hang him out there to dry it. It's kind of like you know this is that's that's how he thinks. That I'm brought up. I'm the way that I think is the way that I think. Uh, the way that they think is the way that they think. And, and Billy, he's not a, he's not a harm. He's he's harmless, uh, really. But it goes to show that even you know news such as yourself, sorry, <laughs> to say. But you know, it's a story. It's a story. The people are looking for a story and. It, it, yeah, it, I've got, I've got, like people, people are as they are. It shouldn't they shouldn't like Billy never made those comments. He wasn't the one who made the comments, was he? He, he might think the way he thinks, but that's influenced by how he's brought up. Just as what how I think is kind of influenced by how he's brought up. What do you think of the sort of the reaction to him sort of being left out of teams and being dropped? Um, Israel Falau, not Billy Vanapola, sort of um, due to play for oh, Tom, okay. wasn't he? Um, is that you know? Again, is that something that should be left left just to the coaches thinking, well, he's a good player, he's not a good player, or, or, or are those type of things important to bring into consideration for selection? Great question. <laughs> that's, that's, a one, that's a tough one. Uh, I think if you go if you if you go and say something so outrageous as he did, then then it's going to have repercussions. Um, I don't think he probably thought they were going to be as as bad as what they turned out to be. But it's right because obviously, if you select someone like that, then ultimately you're accepting that this kind of behaviour is is acceptable, and that anyone can go out and do what say what they want and do what they want, and then still be selected just because they're they're an unbelievable, um, unbelievably good rugby player. That still has an influence on like youngsters somewhere in the world may see may see his interview because I'm sure or his comments. Sorry, I'm sure they're like on YouTube online or whatever now, and you may come across and that could have a negative impact on them. Um, so I think they they probably did they did the right thing, kind of kind of taking that away from him because yeah, I think you can't just say what you want um, anymore ultimately. Particularly if it's going to be such a negative in a negative light. Absolutely. And but on the flip side, since since your um since your article in the in the Sunday Times back in 2015, uh Jack Dunn, Exeter player, Nick McCarthy, Leinster Scrum half, uh, and most recently Campbell Johnson, other other people to can uh mm. you know to announce uh, that they're, they're they're gay or they're they're bisexual. Um Campbell Johnson won a few cats of the All Blacks, having Someone who who played that level of rugby, um, you know, as as part of the LGBT community, um, how how huge is that? How big a step is that? It's, ma- it's, it's massive. It's every single every single person that kind of does it is that little stepping stone. It's like a little uh, Gareth Thomas. Really, he was the one who like paved the way, and then you just like little things falling, falling and falling, making it every uh, every little every person that comes out. Um, will help people in years to come so hopefully eventually we won't have to be having these conversations and I know that's said every single time but if you think about it relatively what, five, six of six people that have done so isn't anything in you know in in in, um, in comparison to, to probably how many people have been gay and will, will not come out because you, we just don't we don't know so there's always that fear of selection etc because all it takes is someone from the top down to not um, be accepting of someone who's lgbt um but we that's something we can't control but i suppose from my my um, perspective it's seeing 
seeing someone like Campbell Johnson is great for future All Blacks. Knowing that, I say knowing that it's it, the only thing is with it so far is that he was a, a former All Black, so it's it's not necessarily like we've got a current player still going and doing it. It's like we 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 all um, there's like that kind of feeling that oh, I have to finish playing before or I do it, which is. Yeah, it's still good. It's knowing that, okay, well, there's still been an All Black that was gay. He might have come out like years after having finished rugby, but he still was and was still able to make it to the top, um, whatever frame of mind he was in at the time. Um, so it's still possible. It, it does show youngsters it's still possible to make it to the top, even though you are you are gay. Um, it's just that, uh, you know, I think cause Jack, is Jack Dunn still playing? I think it's Exeter, isn't he? So he recently joined Exeter not so long ago. Yeah, is he he's still... Yeah, not not too long. I know McCart- Nick McCarthy as well. Um, if these guys are kind of still playing, that you know th- these these guys are influencing it, and slowly but surely you're getting like uh, pro footballers coming out. You know, so hopefully it's only going to make it easier. But ultimately, we know there are there are different mindsets around what being gay is, and and that can potentially negatively affect selection, etc. So there's always that caution, and that was one problem I think my mum always had was. What are your teammates going to think? What you, you might get dropped from a team because you're gay. I was always like, nah, no one would do that, but that, that's potentially possible, sadly. All right. Well, we're coming to the end. Um, but before we do, just some quick fire ones. Uh, what makes you happy? Probably the uh, the finer things. The uh, like, you know, being here in Sicily, obviously, probably having like property here that people would dream of, but. We plan like Lawrence and I. It's kind of like I know I'm only 32, but I actually enjoy the whole the the what's gonna what's gonna what's to come. Like we're we're building a place up here in the in the hills, and we're gonna we own a lot of land. Um, so we'll look like we have like about 100 olive trees. So there are gonna be times you know these little small things like most people my age probably would think were boring, but these these actually like I'm I'm happy like. We've done it before off our old land, had like our own olive oil. And there's something, there's just something different about having olive oil from a supermarket to olive oil in Sicily off your own land, your own trees, from like tree to plate, bit of bread and oil. These simple things um, um, uh, uh, are making me um, happy, happy at the moment. I don't think it's a destination. It's a, it's a continuing continuation, isn't it, really? Uh, the, the journey of happiness. Young player in, in, a, in, a, in a similar situation that you were, when you were 20, um, what type of advice would you give him uh, in, in how to approach letting people know and and, and what steps to take? Uh, I think a lot of reading and I think a, a reading helped me a lot in, in terms of my self-acceptance and understanding that we don't have control of other people's opinions. And, and this is something, that, let me just say, if I was giving this advice to my 20-year-old self, this, this would be it. It's, you have no control over what other people do so you kind of either accept like who you are and get on with it or not and almost suffer the consequences eventually even if you don't even if that doesn't really occur acutely so once you've got that self-acceptance take the necessary steps if you want to tell your parents it's not easy for everyone obviously i had a different 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 way of being i was independent at the time so even though say my parents reaction wasn't necessarily the best i was okay so just probably make sure you've got like a bit of a safe a safe place to go um, a friend find someone who isn't like close to you say in my case my my best friend um and then if it if it does go not as you had intended 
you've still got someone to kind of fall back on. But but after that, once you're happy with yourself, kind of letting people know gradually is absolutely fine. You can't control how they think of it. So as long as you're happy and content in yourself, then other opinions aren't necessarily, um, shouldn't necessarily matter. Sam, thank you very much for talking. I hope the project goes well in Sicily. And, uh, up, all the best. We'll see you again. Appreciate it. That was the All Ears podcast with me, Jeremy Inson. Thanks for listening. And remember to subscribe and follow us on all the usual social media channels. See you next time. Bye.